0: Two years ago in Oregon, a thief stole a car, and after he pulled away from the grocery store parking lot that he stole the car in, he became aware there was a four-year-old baby in a car seat in the back of the car. So he turned around, went back to the grocery store, and waited on the mother to come out, gave her her child lectured her on leaving a child in the car while she went into the store and threatened to call the police on her, and then he stole the car. <laughs> I mean, talk about a twisted tale of ethics and what it means to be a good person. The police said, obviously, we're very glad he returned the child. We just would like any information about the stolen car we could find. You know, we're in this series on the Ten Commandments, and the first four of those commandments deal with our relationship with God, and the second six of those commandments, they deal with our relationship with one another, and logically, if you put that together to be in a right relationship with God, we've got to be in a right relationship with one another, and if we're not in a right relationship with one another, it threatens our relationship with God. Does it threat our, our eternal security? Does it threat our salvation or anything of that nature? And when I say eternal security, I'm talking about the fact that we give our hearts to Christ. Sometimes I know people watching don't understand the phrases we use. We give our hearts to Jesus Christ. He saves us from our sins for eternity. We can choose whether to keep following Him or to abandon Him. But if we follow Him, even when we stumble, He picks us up and He keeps us on the right path. So as we look at this series, one of the things that I reminded you each week is that God gives us the Ten Commandments, and if you remember it, say it with me, not to enslave us, but to enrich us. Thank you. God gives these commandments to enrich our lives, to make them fuller. Stand with me if you would to go to the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, and then I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 through 4. Exodus 20, verse 15, this is the eighth commandment, you must not steal. Now, you think that's simple enough that everybody would understand it. Let's go on to Proverbs chapter 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the next few minutes that You would speak to our hearts through this message, not only about how we live personally, but about the culture and the world that we live in today and how we can raise our children and how we as grandparents can pass on to the generations that are following us, Lord, the lessons that we have received in faith about living, Lord, with a good name living to glorify you and to bless one another. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Oftentimes when I'm in a public setting or people are talking to me, whether it's been on a college campus, whether it's been in a political situation, sometimes people will say something to me along the lines like this. They'll say, Pastor, you know, we really don't need any lectures or sermons about God and faith in God, but talk to us about things like stealing and cheating and murder. Talk to us about how we can love our fellow man, because there are some people that don't believe in God, but we can all be good and kind towards one another. And I always welcome those comments because it's like swinging two doors wide open for me, and I can walk right in then and enjoy a good conversation. And sometimes that conversation may start like this. I said, well, what you're saying, if I'm understanding correctly, is you're buying into the evolutionary theory that there is no God and that we are all just a cosmic accident. And most of the time, people will say, well, I didn't say I believe that, but that's what most of the world believes today. And it's kind of a grandiose expression that's very politically astute. I'm not, but everybody else is, okay? And so I'll say, well, if that's true and we are just a a cosmic accident, then I'm a bag of carbon-based chemicals and you're a bag of carbon-based chemicals. What's to say or who's to say how one carbon-based bag of chemicals is supposed to treat another carbon-based bag of chemicals? Because eventually and I'll never use one word when a thousand will do, eventually it's all going to be extinguished anyway and we will cease to exist. So why does it matter? And most times people sit there looking at me kind of like you are right now. Huh? (laughs) Because listen, family, if there is no God, what are we? If there is no God who created us in his image, what are we? We are nothing more than scientists and chemists have reduced us to be, and that's just a bag of chemicals bumping into one another. Who's to say what's right or who's wrong? Who's to establish what's right or who's wrong? There are cultures, what I've worked in, that it's, according to that culture's ethic, it's totally okay to steal from people who have more than you. And so people who have more than you are... They build walls, they build fences, they have guns. And people who have less, they look for ways to circumvent those things because it is culturally accepted even among the rich that it's okay to steal from those who have more, just don't get caught because if you do, you're probably gonna get killed or dogs get set upon you. So who's to say who's right or wrong? But the fact of the matter is, we are made in the image of God as we've looked at over and over in this series. We are icons of God. That's what it means to be made in his image. We share his personality, we share his creativity, we share his personality, we share his emotions, we we feel love, we feel anger, we feel sadness, we see all of these things that God experiences and because we're made in his image, we experience those same things that the animal kingdom doesn't experience. We don't like the idea though in our modern culture, we don't like the idea of God as a judge. We like the idea of God as a companion. We like the idea as as God as a kind of nearsighted old grandfather that's just doting upon us. But the idea of God as a judge, well, that really bothers us because if God is a judge, that means I'm accountable for everything that I do to Him. And so are you, and it also means I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me. Philip Yancey, I know a lot of you have read some of his books. I've recommended a number of them before, but Yancey tells a story about a girl named Susan that came to talk to him, and she was going to leave her husband because she says, my husband doesn't meet my needs. And during their conversation, she kept referring to her father in heaven, her father in heaven. And so he asked her, he says, when you talk to your father in heaven, when you talk to God... Have you ever talked to him about the morality of leaving your husband for another man? And she looked at Philip and she goes, you sound just like a white Anglo-Saxon male. She says, I'm not into all this morality thing. God and I are in a relationship together. He supports me and he encourages me. I would say that's not our Heavenly Father. I would say that she's believing a lie of the evil one that says... God in her image, that's what he would do is support any decision she would want to make. And a lot of times things are thrown at a Protestant ethic with a Protestant work ethic with a slur, or me as a white Anglo male as a slur. There's a lot of things that come our way. So we have to be based solidly in the rationality of the word of God. You see, if my nature, and it is, but I'm using for the sake of discussion with you this morning... If my nature is modeled and based and created in the image of God, then the personality, the rationality, the creativity, the emotions that I experience and that you experience, that if I trample on your rights, if I steal from you, if I hurt you intentionally, then I have trampled upon God. Because by trampling upon you, I've trampled upon God. Think of your children this morning. Think of your grandchildren. Think of your nieces and nephews. If someone hurts them, they've hurt you. If someone blesses them, they bless you. When someone encourages them, they encourage you. When they they diss them or disrespect them, they've disrespected you. And so that's why God gives us all of these commandments, not just principles, but commandments for how we're to love one another, how we're supposed to treat one another. When you name something, you're connecting it with something. When you name a puppy, when you name a tree, when you name a house, when you name your child, you're connecting it with something. And God says in the passage of Scripture that I just read to you, you will win a good name. Now, just, just for my own curiosity, how many of you want to have a good name with God and in the community? Could I see your hand this morning? I think it's almost unanimous. I want to have a good name. Our name matters to us. Our name says who we are. Our name says who we're connected with. Our name says something about what we believe and what we practice in our belief. In other words, my confession is my name. Whatever I confess in faith, that's my name. If I confess something and my name doesn't match up to my confession, then I'm called a hypocrite. If I confess something and I don't match up to that, if my internal confession doesn't match my external lifestyle, then I'm known as a hypocrite. And so my confession has a lot to do with my commitment. And that's the reason that we define discipleship at Woodland as being passionate followers of Christ. We want to model not only Christ on the outside, but we want to model that relationship that Christ had with his Father in heaven and that he had with one another. You see, when my confession, listen, this is important. When my confession matches my name, it saves me from short-term decisions. And the consequences of so many short-term decisions are long-term consequences and effects. I was afraid. I was angry. I was lonely. I was hurting. I was poor. I was this. And there's always an excuse for those short-term decisions that impact our long-term life. Paul decided to write to the Ephesian Christians about this, and evidently some of them have been thieves because he writes quite bluntly in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. He says, if you are a thief, now stop for just a moment. I'm looking around this sanctuary. I, I don't know who's watching online today, but I don't look at anyone in this congregation and think that you're a thief. But Paul, preaching in that congregation, And I preached in a few street meetings, and I preached in a few outreaches, and I preached in a few streets where I know that the people listening to me are not only drug dealers and prostitutes and thieves and murderers. So I kind of get this feeling of what Paul is looking at. He's looking at a congregation. He says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Now, when I read that, I go, hmm, somebody has stolen something from somebody in the church. That's not a good thing, is it? So Paul says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for a good handout from the government. Is that what it says? I have the evil translation up here, I think. No. Use your hands, read it with me, for good hard work. Friends, work is a four-letter word, but it's not a dirty word. It's a good word. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then you can have more stuff. Is that what it says? Then you can have a bigger house. Then you can have a better car, faster car. I parked next, when I went to vote this week, I parked next to a brand-new Mustang at Boss 302 out of it. I felt the Spirit move upon me when I pulled my little Mustang next to that Mustang. And I got out and I looked at it before I voted, I said, God, that's your will for my life. I know it's. <laughs> Becky said, you would get in so much trouble if you had that car. I said, Lord, if it's not your will, let it be gone when I get back to the car after I voted. It was still there. (laughs) It's not so that your good hard work will result in you having more stuff and better stuff. It's so that you can give generously to others in need. Somebody say amen this morning. I thought about waiting to take the offering until after I read this passage this morning but I didn't want to manipulate anybody or guilt anybody. But this is why the Bible tells us to to work hard is so that we will be able to, to be generous. Look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The first four commandments. The first four commandments. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The second six commandments. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Do you see how it just all fits together? So there's more to this passage than just saying don't steal. There's so much more to this passage than looking at you and I and saying, if you're a thief, stop stealing and go to good hard work. There's so much we can draw out of this. First of all, I draw out of this, number one, we were created to be stewards. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God created us to be cultivators. God created us to cultivate the earth, to steward the earth, to steward the garden that He created. The Bible says in Psalms 104 and verse 14, "The tender grass grows up at His command to feed the cattle, and there are fruit trees, vegetables and grain for men to cultivate, and wine to make him glad, and olive trees, excuse me, an olive oil is lotion for his skin, and bread to give him strength." So whatever gifts and whatever talents and strengths that God has given you, God has created us to be stewards of the earth, stewards of what He's entrusted to us. I have a trust of this congregation. I have a trust of my marriage. I have a trust of my family. I have a trust of the resources that God has given me. I have a trust of of people in our community. God tells me to steward that well for his glory and honor. So when I look at this passage of not stealing, if I steal from someone, rather than being a steward, I'm being a thief. I'm attacking and I'm trampling upon the very image of God, which tells me there is wrong taking that can happen in life. There are people that take from you and they take from you wrongly. I would guess that most of us in this room have experienced what it means to be robbed. I've had my car broken into, I've had my home broken into, I've had my garage broken into. Most of us know what it means. just, Just out of curiosity, how many of you have been robbed from or stolen from before? Can I see your hands this morning? Most of us, the overwhelming majority of most of us, we know what it means. There's the wrong taking. I clipped this out of the paper not too long ago and saved it. The U.S. attorney says that Michigan leads the nation in public corruption cases. Michigan leads the nation. Does that surprise anybody here? I don't think so, but let me put on my glasses here. Corruption is basically greed, people stealing money, the DA said. This is just the way the system works. Over time, people think I've taken a bribe here, I've taken a bribe in the past. No one caught me, it's just the way the system works because my fellow county employees do the same. It's really tragic, the district attorney says. What are you driving at, Pastor? I'm driving at there becomes a culture of wrong taking. And as I've spent time collecting the stats on the public corruption cases, I could be wrong on this. I think the cost of living would come down in Michigan dramatically if the public was suddenly to have an old-fashioned revival that brought people to Jesus Christ and their lives were transformed, their hearts were changed, and rather than seeking to steal from one another, we sought to give back and be good stewards of what God has given us. If my figures were correctly, we could probably reduce the cost of living somewhere between 15 and 20% in the state of Michigan alone. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for a vision like that? That's not impossible. It's happened before where God has sent great revivals that have changed the hearts and the lives of people. But it also says that you and I have the right of keeping. You can't be a steward unless you've got something to keep and to take care of. God designed us to have things. God designed us to create things. God designed us to care for things. And so as you ladies care for your home, as you men care for your cars or your lawns, as you care for your children, maybe you're into some sort of things that you like to carve or collect. Material things say a lot about us. I started chuckling. I didn't know that Becky was wearing that beautiful, beautiful shirt that she was wearing during the announcement video this morning. But I think it says a lot about Becky and the University of Georgia in the state of Michigan that's seen around the world today. Your clothes say a lot about you. Your home says a lot about you. Your car says a lot about you. Some of you, I have been in your car. It is pristine. It looks like we could eat off the carpets in your car. Some of you, I've been in your car, and I said, let's go ride in my car. (laughs) Oh, don't point at anybody. That's not fair. I got into one man's truck. I will not call his name. He just shoved stuff off the seat. He said, Pastor, kick that garbage out of the way. When I find a dumpster, I'll dump it in. I said, we got one right here in the back. (laughs) You see, how we create care for things, it says a lot about us. So if stealing is wrong, then having must be right. If stealing is wrong, then having must be right. You say, Pastor, why is that important? Because there are so many today who are saying that private property is wrong. Private ownership is sin. Private ownership, everything should be held in common. It didn't work for Marx. It didn't work for Lenin. It didn't work for Russia. It's not working for anybody else in the world. I'm not preaching capitalism. I'm preaching the Bible this morning. If stealing is wrong, then having must be right. Can you say amen to that? So what we do with it is important. How we get it is also important. Look at Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 14. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. Now, he's speaking to those who have extorted. He's speaking to those who, through corruption, have taken things, maybe legal corruption. He says, how dare you? Remember, I said if you trample on people, you're trampling on God. How dare you crush my people grinding the faces of the poor into the dust. Susan that Philip Pianci was talking to may not like the idea that God is a judge. She may want God to support her immorality, but you are not going to change God. You will either change by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or one day you will face God without Christ as your Savior, and God will question you, how dare you depart from me for I never knew you. Friends, this is serious business. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, the prophet's voice speaking for God, he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, not in just bringing the first fruit of the 10%, but in the offerings for the poor, in the offerings for missions. God says, You have robbed me, you have stolen from me. And he says, Because of that, the whole nation is under a curse. Years ago at a company my wife was working for doing taxes before she started her own business, a man came in one day, and she was doing his taxes. He chose to sit there in front of her while she was doing his taxes, and so she said, do you have any contributions or donations? He says, oh, yes, my wife and I tithe to our church, and so he gave her the contribution statement from their church. She looked at it. She looked at his income. He didn't know that she was a pastor's wife, and she looked at me and says, that's not a tithe he looked at her he says what she goes that's not a tithe he goes oh you know what tithing is she goes yes that's not a tithe but if that's what you want to say we'll put it on your income tax form I bet that man felt about that tall when a cute little girl five foot two with eyes of blue that still makes me go vah 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 voom when I see her looked at her and said that's not a tithe you don't rob from God God says there will be a curse upon you But God wants to bless you, and that's why he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing, do good hard work so that you can live a generous life. Thieves are like the devil. Givers are like God. Somebody say amen this morning. Secondly, if I'm going to live this way, when I read this verse, because I dare say there's not a one of us at some point that we haven't stolen something. Maybe it was a pencil as a kid. One of the things that really bothered Augustine was that he had stolen some pears from a tree. And even when he was an old man, he was still writing about those pears that he had stolen from a tree that was not his. One time my brother-in-law, bless his heart who's in heaven now... I didn't know it was illegal. I really didn't. We went to an orange orchard and we filled up the trunk of my maverick grabber. Does anybody remember those? One just like mine sold the other day for $27,000. I bought the car for less than $3,000, you know. But we filled up my trunk with with all these oranges and stuff and he says, oh yeah, there's a law in Florida, you can do this. There was no law in Florida like that. I felt bad for a long, long time. I didn't know who owned the orchard, because when I went back to knock on the door and say, I'm sorry, it was now condominiums and houses like everything else is in Florida. I shot a farmer's hog one time. This is the last time I went deer hunting. I thought it was a deer, and I shot and killed his hog. He was running. It looked like a deer to me. I shot him. He dropped dead with a two forty-three Winchester. My buddy, Jimmy Cumby, Jimmy says, Pastor, that wasn't a deer. That was a hog. I said, no, Jimmy, that was a deer. I not know what a difference between a deer and a hog. I grew up on farms. He says, Pastor, I'm telling you, that was a Jimmy was a deer. Let's go get it. We got there. Jimmy was right. I was wrong. I had killed a man's hog. We threw him in the back of the truck. We took it to the farmer. I knocked on his door. I said, I'm so sorry. I wouldn't tell him I was Pastor so-and-so. I just told him my name. I said, please forgive me. I thought it was a deer. I shot your hog. He came out and looked at it. He started laughing. He said, son, you can have that hog. He's been rooting up my fruit trees. I'm grateful that you killed him. (laughs) Jimmy later called him and told him where I was pastor at. So they called the newspaper, and they ran a front story story of pastor kills a hog while hunting a deer. It's not funny. Why are you laughing? (laughs) You see, you have to have a change of heart. And it was embarrassing to go up on that porch and say, I just killed your hog. It was relief when he gave it to me. Why do I need a new heart? Number one, because God is watching me. God is watching me. The Bible says in Job chapter 34, God watches how people live. He sees everything they do. No darkness is thick enough to hide the wicked from his eyes. If you're a pastor, God sees you when you're in prayer and preparation for preparing a message. If you're a teacher, God sees you when you're preparing for your class and for your students. If you're working at Ford, God sees you and the quality of work that you're doing for Ford or General Motors and how you show up to work on time and you work while you're there giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. But if you're a slacker and you just kind of pull something out of the air and you throw it up as a pastor, God sees that as well. If you're a worker at Ford and you just go in there and you take unauthorized breaks, you take parts, you take tools out of the company because you know they're going to write it up. Corruption becomes a culture, as this article says. Then suddenly God sees you. And I think we need to be more mindful of this. God loves us, but God watches us. And my confession needs to match what's going on in the inside of my life. But not only does God watch me, but my family and my community are watching me. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. For who to see? All. Say it together. For all to see. Circle that for all to see. Then the Bible goes on and says, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. What's the idea behind not stealing, but learning to be generous and learning to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, learning to do good work so that people trust our work. It's learning how to help people give God the glory for what you and I do. So if I build a car, I want to build a car to the glory of God so that you drive off the parking lot you go, this is the best car I've ever owned. If I build a house, I don't want to cut corners on the foundation. I don't want to cut corners with the electricians. I don't want to cut corners with the plumbing. So the house, the things that you can't see, the house doesn't rot. The house doesn't catch on fire and kill your family. I want to do good work that you can see. If I work in an office, I don't want to be taking home the file folders and, and office supplies or taking home something and go, because everybody else does it. Or somebody comes to me and says, if, we will do business, if you do business with us, we will give you this on the side. We will give you that. No, let's learn to work honestly because God is watching us. Our family is watching us, but our community is watching us as well. The people that we live around, the people we do life with. Robert Murray McShane, that some of you, a few years ago, you did his Bible reading program with me. He lived in the early 1800s. Godly man, godly preacher. McShane said this, I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. Let me read that sentence again. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart, and an old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than part with its money. One of the tales are told of one of the Persian ships that was lost at the Mediterranean Sea was when they discovered his body when the ship was sinking, he had put a 200 pound gold belt around his waist and as a result, drowned when he jumped into the sea. The question was this, did the gold have him or did he have the gold? The question is this, according to Jesus, does money have my heart or does God have my heart? Because you can't serve two masters. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that is. God loves us and God loves you so very much. In First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, look at what he says. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And as Corey led us in receiving communion this morning, and you broke that bread, it was symbolic of Christ being uh, uh, whipped and beaten and then nailed to that cross for you. Does that move your heart this morning? Does that touch your heart? Or is it just the same old, same old that we do? Are we touched that Christ was crucified for our sins? Are we touched that when we drank that cup, It was symbolic of the blood of Jesus that fell to the ground. The Roman soldiers just saw a pool of coagulated blood collecting in the dirt, another person being crucified. But those of us who know that our sins were being washed away, we were given the free gift of eternal life. It becomes one of the most precious moments in all of history. Christ crucified so that you and I might be born again and have eternal life. You were bought with a price. God paid the ultimate for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Circle that word poor. So that by his poverty he could make you rich. Friends, there is not a word in the English language that... that Fills me with more fear than that word poverty. I've never lived in poverty, but I have seen it. I have smelled it. I have held it. I have wallowed in it, sat in it, lay down in it. The idea of not knowing where the next morsel of bread will come from, where The next cup of clean water will come from. The idea that day in and day out, year in and year out, you watch your children slowly starve to death. You bury 100 children a day as I have done because there's simply not enough to eat and not enough to feed them. You watch diseases from water that is so impure because corporations have corrupted and poisoned the land and poisoned the streams, and the babies are deformed because they drink that water. There is not a word that fills me with more fear and more dread than to think that I could be poor and in poverty. But Jesus Christ, he came into this world, not into a mansion, not into a throne room, but born in a stable filled with cow manure and sheep manure. And there he came and lived in poverty so that by his grace, he happily, he gladly made you and me rich through the wonderful gift of his blood and his life for you and I today. Think about it. So how in God's name could I ever steal from him or trample upon you or steal from you? No one can call themselves a Christian and live like that. It's only because of that grace that you and I can lay claim to this confession. It's what I pray over Josiah. It's what I pray over Andrew and Dana. As they day in and day out raise that precious little grandson of ours. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose. I don't understand why things happen as they do, but I do know that God is good and God makes everything work for our good in his glory. And so that is our confession. Let me come back to McShane because I want you to hear the rest of what he said. I fear there are many here in me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give, to give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. All my friends. McShane wasn't angry. He's speaking to his congregation. He says, all my friends. Enjoy your money. There's the right of keeping. There's the wrong of taking. Enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. And it's the choice that you and I have to make. Will we enjoy it because we have the right to keep it? Or will we be stewards of it because we know it doesn't belong to us, after all. This pulpit doesn't belong to me. This church doesn't belong to me. Becky doesn't belong to me. She's my wife through covenant of marriage. My children don't belong to me. They're my children because we're their mother and father. I'm a steward, and you're a steward of everything. William Wilberforce that fought so hard against slavery said of the people who didn't want to change the laws of slavery said prosperity hardens the heart. That's the reason Jesus said in Luke 18 how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But what is impossible for people is possible with God. So hear me this morning. You may not think it but as an American you're very rich compared to the rest of the world you may not believe it because you're comparing yourself to people who have more than you but God says to you and me it is possible for rich Americans to be saved because only Jesus can change our hearts and give us a new heart can you say amen It can change us and make us complete. There was a man who stole from people so much. He was hated. He was small, but he climbed a tree in order to see Jesus. And after meeting with Jesus, he gave a significant portion of his wealth away. And not because of what he did, but because of his faith in Jesus, he did what he did. And Jesus said, to this man that nobody thought could be saved because he was a tax collector. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Let's go through the growth work real quickly here. Remember this article? This article has been a part of my fasting and my prayer. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 11 and verse 10... When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. That means so much to me. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. If there is revival and people begin to turn to God and bankers and politicians and contractors and teachers and people working on the automobile line, people working in the county and the state and our local community. Imagine what happens when God changes our hearts and we live for the glory of God and the good of one another. The whole city would rejoice. So Jesus is our definition, in case you're wondering. And money is strategic for us as passionate followers of Christ if you want to know what a passionate follower of Jesus is don't look at me I mean I want you to follow me as I follow Christ but if you want to know who the model really is look at Jesus that's what we mean about being a passionate follower of Christ and money is just something strategic that God has put into our hands and said I want you to use this for my glory and honor I want you to bring me the tithe I I want you to save some I want you to take care of your family, but I want you to learn to be generous for those in need. It becomes a strategy. And what I have learned and what the Bible teaches is this, I will always harvest what I plant. I will always harvest what I plant. You will always harvest what you plant, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 7. Secondly, God will always bless me A faithful person will have an abundance of blessings according to Proverbs 28 and verse 20. If I could tell you the story of the miracles of my life, everything, everything is just a miracle. Number three, work honestly. Nobody stands over me telling me to do this, do that. I I don't have a manager. I don't have a boss. You may be self-employed as well. You have to be a self-starter. You have to be someone that gets up in the morning with a plan and you're ready to go. And then I I don't just pastor this church. I, I try to volunteer within our denomination and help. I try to volunteer in our community and help. To do that, you've got to be able to work honestly. Again, look at Ephesians 4, 28. Use your hands for good hard work and give generously to others in need. For Thessalonians 4, verse 11. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we extracted you before. Now read this out loud with me. Then people who are not believers we respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend upon others. You will not need to depend upon others. Over and over throughout my life, I have been offered compensation because of my health. I've never accepted it. one time. I've been offered handicapped hangers that go in the mirror, only mirror. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes in the winter, I wish I did have one but I've never taken one because God is so good, he makes the impossible possible. Don't you ever forget that. You put your will first, God will let you have your way. You put God's will first and God will pour blessing after blessing out upon you. And then finally, just in case you're wondering, I don't want you to give to God out of guilt. I don't want you to give to God out of a grumpy heart. I don't want you to give to God out of legalism. I want you to give to God because you love Him and you reverence Him. Look at me right here, especially those of you online. You don't know me, perhaps, if you're watching online. I'm not begging you for money. I'm not asking you for one thin dime. I want you to learn to give to God because you love Him. You should tithe, Jesus said. But don't neglect the most important things. In other words, if I tithe and I'm not honest with my work, if I tithe and I don't love people, if I don't forgive people, if I tithe and I'm not... Look at me. You're putting your notes away. You're not listening. Look at me. This is important. You think about this as an altar call for Christians. So lay it down. Look at me. I love you or I wouldn't be that stern. If I tithe, but I'm not merciful and forgiving Honest and hardworking, that doesn't make any difference with God. Jesus says you should tithe, but don't neglect the most important things like love and mercy and grace and truth. Can somebody say amen to that? The most important things. In Deuteronomy 14:23 says, and then in this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God your God as long as you live would you stand with me this morning Heavenly Father I come to you in the precious the name that we sang that even the angels cry holy, holy, holy all creation cries holy and we join with creation to cry holy this morning Lord, I ask you, hear my prayer. Let the spirit of the Lord be a candle in my heart, in my life. Search me, O Lord. And if in any way I have not been merciful with my finances or just with my finances, God, if I've not been loving with my finances, then I pray that, God, you will forgive me That you will show me and empower me by your Holy Spirit, God, to never neglect the most important things. And Father, if I've stolen from you in the tithes and the offerings, then I ask you this day forgive me and make me faithful, Lord, so that somebody doesn't look at me and say, that wasn't a tithe. Jesus, I come to you this morning, and I pray, help me to understand that, Lord, what Becky and I have, what this church has, the way we manage it and use it, it speaks of a deeper work in our hearts. You have given us the privilege of being stewards. And so finally, Lord, we all need new hearts we all need new lives and new motives. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, or if you've wandered away once you used to be a passionate follower of Jesus, but remember when I talked about eternal security, you're no longer following Jesus. You're living the way you want to live and not the way not following Jesus, that that just boils it down to a nutshell. I'm asking you this morning, if you feel this stirring in your heart, that's God calling you. That's the Holy Spirit saying you are loved. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I was bought with a price, not of gold and not of silver, but I was bought with a precious price of the body and the blood of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't understand it all, but I know that I am loved by you. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and create in me a new heart. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. And if you pray that instantly, completely God forgave you of your sins completely you've been born again And if you're in this room and you pray that well nobody's looking around but me would you lift up your hand and say pastor I prayed that with you this morning I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ I'm recommitting my life to Jesus God bless you God bless you God bless you too God bless you somebody else If you prayed that online, God bless you. I see your hand as well. Thank you. I don't want to rush it. God bless you. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? (laughs) It is wonderful. Isn't God good? If you prayed this online, would you please let me know? The information will be shown on screen. Well, look at me if you would this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord smile upon you. May the Lord bring down every mountain before you, exalt every valley before you, and may God make you prosperous in every good work that he set your hand to do. And may he rebuke the devourer in all things and cause them to work for your good and for his glory and honor. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.